science and making us sung. Rob percussion, tap, they did drum. I ain't DOC, but that's the formula. Cartier is tough to cover the cornea. Pineapple, kush, that's aroma. Her with vegetables like cornucopia. Back at ES3N, you got Mark Kilio Atkins here, Richie Dedell, and Chris Leopold. Chris, get us started. Let us know what's going on. Man, well, not a ton of news in MLB this week, uh, but what a start with the passing of Lou Brock. Um, Longtime Cardinal, Hall of Famer, dead at 81. Uh, Six-time All-Star, two-time World Series, lifetime batting average, 293. Um, guy was an absolute legend. Um, you know, I, I, you know me as a Brewers fan. It is hard for me to promote anybody in a – Uniform that has slapped us around as heavily as the Cardinals have. Uh, uh, but Lou Brock, really one of a kind there. Uh, also, we lost this week, Tom Seaver, uh, Hall of Fame pitcher, dead at 75, right? Won 311 games with four different teams. Of course, best known for his time with the Mets. Uh, World Took him to the World Series championship. Uh, 2.86 career ERA over 3,500, 3,640 to be exact, strikeouts, three-time Cy Young Award winner, 12-time All-Star, also a huge loss. I mean, 2020, we just seem, I don't know if it's the year or what, but we just seem to be racking them up. Um, brighter side of baseball, right? Uh, Clayton Kershaw, uh, 2,500 Ks, right? Uh, and that, I could say, kind of happened fast because, Richie, I believe you and I actually worked the Brewers game where Clayton Kershaw struck out 2,000. Yeah, he, I mean, he, he's a young guy still for still going, you know, third youngest to get to this point. Um, I'm about to he, say, I mean, uh, uh, I mean, when you start talking about some of the guys who are ahead of him there, um, you know, it's Randy Johnson, Nolan Ryan, and it was uh, uh, Max Streiser there. So, yeah, that's, yeah. that's, those, that's a elite company there. And I have to tell you, I mean, I still think, with you know with baseball being the sport it is i think he's just getting started yeah 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 just just man just to continue what you got what you said chris it's been it's been a up and down week man um with the passing of tom Seaver. um one of the things you guys know i'm not huge uh on baseball but one of the things that i enjoy from this podcast is the ability to learn more and to kind of dive in some of those stories so when you hear about people such as Tom Seaver and Lou Brock dying, it gives me an opportunity to go back into 1969 and kind of see the stories and just hear what's going on. And, you know, the last week we had two coaching legends. Now you have two legendary players that left us, you know, two, two players that, that, that represent everything that you love about the sport of baseball when you think of Tom Seaver coming in in 69, being part of the Miracle Mets. And, you know, at a time where they, they had just dropped the mile six inches because pitchers like Bob Gibson was dominating the league. I mean, just, just, to, just to see what he did to a franchise to the point to where he was called the franchise and what he represented, you know, it was just, it, it's sad, man. It's sad, but, you know, though, those, those legends that our fathers watch and that, you know, we heard about as young boys are, are, are passing and, you know, and continuing with Lou Brock. Um, it gave me an opportunity. I love Ricky Henderson and, and Vince Coleman growing up. And that's kind of like my introduction to 
bass to, to bass stealing. But I always heard Lil Brock, but I never really, you know, went and dived into it and just to see what he, what he accomplished. And um, one of the things that Lou basically said in, in one of the last interviews um, was you push yourself to be the best. You bring your A game and that's what Tom Seaver and Lou Brock brought every time they stepped on that field. They brought their A game. And it's just sad, man. Mike Trout, what, what can you say? It's like now, just as we transition and see what Mike Trout is doing and see what Clinton Kershaw or what Clayton Kershaw is doing, it's amazing to see uh, Mike Trout, Willie Mays, any to break any Willie Mays record at the end of the day is amazing within itself. So for him to get to that point quicker and at a younger age just shows you what Mike Trout is doing to the league right now. Yeah, absolutely. There's a lot of young guys coming up and making the best of their moment. Uh, even rookies here um, in the in the shortened uh, COVID-19 2020-2021 season here. Um, certainly taking its toll, but we're seeing a lot of the stars continue to shine here. So as always, I'm happy to see that. Um, as we move out here, Elle, you talked about how it is that we like, one of the great things about this show is we kind of branch off into new areas that allow us to develop and grow as uh, sports fans and sports aficionados. And that kind of leads us into our next topic here today. We're going to be talking about the ES3N's first ever boxing section of our podcast today. Yes, yes sir. I'd like to first thank you guys for taking the opportunity to um, touch on a sport that I love. Um, I love to watch. I've never boxed because, you know, I don't, I'm not into the business of getting punched in the face. I've never really been too good with the box, breathing and the fainting. But I do appreciate the science of the game. And I, I thought what better opportunity to talk about boxing but on a sports podcast. So thank you guys for, for reaching out because I, I know how you extend yourself and I've extended myself in baseball and trying to improve my knowledge in it. So, yeah, we're going to talk about the sweet science. And um, within the last couple of weeks, we've had what you call some highs and some lows. Uh, you, you've had the, the Pavekian and, and Dylan White fight where you have possibly one of the biggest knockouts, possibly the knockout of the year. And then you have the fight with Romero. <laughs> but starting off on a good note, guys, what did you guys get out of that Povetkin fight, and what, what did you see? Yeah, well, I, I mean, well, you want to go first, Chris? Go ahead. Certainly. I mean, I got to tell you, when you first set that fight over, um, you know, with a name, with a nickname like the body stature and the way this guy was just manhandling the body of – but again, uh, please to, uh, forgive me if I continue to massacre names here. Tongue's not a strong point for me. Picking is pretty hard, man. You know, I, I... Uh, it won't be the first time. It certainly won't be the last time. Um, watch the first few rounds, and you're just wa watching him getting manhandled. And one of my favorite things about sports like bas bas uh, boxing and MMA is how it could all change in a second. And Certainly, uh, Petvigan really came in with that uppercut and laid him out. It is absolutely a knockout of the year candidate. I'm not going to lie. 
I watch boxing to see somebody get knocked the out. All right, that's it. That's what I. That's what I pay for. You want to get me through the door? I want to see somebody get beat. Maybe that's the caveman in me. Maybe it's inappropriate for the time and age. But you know what? This is boxing, not ballet. Right? Um, it's one of the things I feel like boxing is lost. You know, as we move in, and we'll we'll get into that here as we talk about Romero and that uh, and the other fight there. Richie, I mean, what did you think about it, man? Uh, body snatcher got snatched. Well, and, and so I, I happened to be texting Markelio when I was watching this highlight. And I texted him and I said, dude, with a nickname like the body snatcher, I would have thought he would have been snatching some bodies. But uh, what, what I think was, was nice about it was uh, Markelio sent it over, you know, and, and said, hey, you guys should watch this fight. It was a recommended fight that, that, I, that I watched. And I didn't know who was going to win right? Because, because I hadn't seen it. And I'm watching, and Dylan White is just laying into this dude, whether it's body jabs or he's coming with jabs and Povetkin would, would, would duck and he'd come through with uppercuts, right? And so as he continues to attack him, all of a sudden, out of nowhere, one false move and he went night-night. And, yeah. and I mean, it, it was night-night, like as if, as, as like the ref walked over and said, hey, bro, you know that the the rope is choking you, dog. Why don't, why don't we pull you out from under the ropes? Because he basically it was like a WWE match, and he went flying. He almost fell out of out of the ring, but it, it came out of nowhere. And and like you said, that is the awesome part of boxing. That's the awesome part of fighting as a whole. Is things change in the blink of an eye, and if you blink, you might miss it. Yeah. Yeah, it's good. And I, hey, I appreciate you guys watching. I figured that would be a really good start for you guys to, to give you guys the opportunity to see a fight where it's kind of back and forth. You don't expect it. And then from nowhere, my, you know, those are the heavyweights. Mike Tyson told you, you, you got to plan until you get punched. <laughs> you know, so. Everybody's got to plan until they get hit. Yeah, everybody got to plan until they get hit. Sorry, I should have done it in my Mike Tyson way. Everybody got to plan until he get hit. <laughs> So, so yeah. Much that I will not do in front of Mike Tyson in fear of getting knocked out. <laughs> Another backdrop to that story was Dylan White was, you know, he's a, he's a he's a he's he's a character within itself. Um, he refused to shake Pavetkin hand before the fight. He's a pretty outspoken guy, pretty you know, uh, just just a a character within itself. So to just to see him laying flat, unconscious. A lot of people found that amusing. You should see some of the some of the uh, the, the Instagram posts from Anthony Joshua and just around uh, just, just around the boxing family and what everyone said about it. So that was an exciting fight. But now we're gonna talk about some of the downs and some of the bad parts of boxing, and some of that came evident with the lightweight division and the prospect with TMT Promotions. Rolando Romero when he was fighting on the undercard at David Benitez and uh, Alexis Aguirre fight. Um, what did you guys think about that fight? Yeah, Chris, I'll take this one to start. Um, as I was watching the fight, the, the few things that I know about boxing is they look at the amount of hits that you get on a guy, the quality of those hits, whether they're taps or whether you actually create some form of, of damage and, and then where those hits are. Are they body hits? Are they face shots? You know, and then obviously the ability to duck and dodge 
And as I was watching this fight, I was not very impressed with Romero. And I was trying to be the judge uh, because it was a, it, it did go 12 rounds. And so I wanted to go in my head and say, okay, am I seeing this right? Am I watching the correct way? Am I, am I learning this the way I should? In my, in my head, it, it seemed to line up very much with what they were putting on the scorecard. Um, and, and so as, as I'm watching, you know, the end, I, I just, I, one, I didn't understand. Uh, and maybe that's just my lack of, of, of knowledge uh, being a weak spot for me. But I didn't understand what the reason behind how, how somebody can win the scorecard by, I think it was four points. And then all of a sudden you announce a unanimous decision of another man winning the title. To me, if you, if you get beat up, you get beat up. They're, they're, you don't win being the guy who just got beat up. Yeah. I mean, it was an awful fight. The first, the first four rounds were at least entertained to watch. They started off strong, I felt. There was some exchanges there. Uh, I, I thought it was getting pretty clear-cut early on. And then the hugging started. I haven't seen this much dodging and hugging since the Pacquiao-Mayweather fight, man. And, and, and it wore up. I, I got tired into the 10th round, man. And that's what gets me is there is no reason in, let's call it what it is, in, in a sport like boxing that I should have that kind of downtime. You know, it's where – I give MMA the boost. There's not a whole lot, you know, there's not a whole lot of this, oh, let's stick, jab, dance, dance, because people are going to start booing you. And, you know, after everything was said and done, you're looking at the card and you're going, not only do I not care who won, but do any of them, do either of them deserve it? Yeah, I agree. Um, that, that was one of the reasons, uh, reasons I wanted you guys to watch this, because as I said, you had some of the highs with the first fight. With this, I think you had extreme lows. Um, for one, the quality of the fight wasn't good. Um, Rolando Romero, uh, if, if you follow him on social media, he's, he's kind of a, a, a <laughs> I'll say, eccentric character, too, within himself. Um, he's a guy that's kind of boasted about beating Javante Davis, which is a champion in his own right, saying that he wiped the floor with Kevin Haney. And, and, uh, but th th these are situations where they're sparring, but he has a really big mouth, and people have spoken up and said that he was going to be the next coming of, of a great fighter. And here comes a WA lightweight fight, and he looks horrible. He not only looks horrible from an ineffective way of boxing, um, when I say an effective way of boxing, he put pressure on him, but he couldn't hit the guy. It was some aggression that, that was almost borderline. <laughs> it's funny that, that, that we were talking about this earlier, Richie, and you talked about how it kind of irritated you, how he was just trying to punch off the, off the hold and, you know, how aggressive he was, and then for him to get that, that the, the, the call at the end and get the unanimous decision. How that works is, in, in those cases, you have a commentator that calls the fight as they see it, and then you have one of the judges there that a lot of times are paid by the promoters and the managers, and we'll get into that a little bit later. But that's what happened in this situation. Um, it, they, they expected him to win. He, they was, he was the golden child, uh, and 
they they gave him the fight. Um, it's no way, shape, or form he won that. And I think that kind of brings the point of that's the whole that's everything that's bad in boxing right now. Um, and, and let me ask you this, Markelia. So I mean, we understand that there are four major promotional groups in boxing right now, right? Is the way I understand it. Yeah. Why aren't the best fighters fighting each other? Why does it seem with all these great and divided titles, you know, I mean, and that was really when I was young, and we're not going to bother the listeners with how old I am. Uh, when I was young, that was what we were looking for unified belts, right? That was, it was always the big fight. There were plenty of them. They seemed to be so many of them, you couldn't keep up with them. Why aren't the best fighters fighting each other right now? <clears throat> politics i think it's half of um what i was kind of alluding to before you have the promoters and the managers in the same um you know bargaining rooms with these organizations so you have certain promotion teams that's only fighting their fighters um they're only choosing to fight certain fighters you got you got oscar de la hoya you know uh fighting Bob Arum and Bob Arum top ranked fighters not fighting PBC and Al Heyman. So it's it's really become political. Um, you have to have almost a separation of church and state now to where you got to take those those promoters and those managers out those rooms and have those organizations really hold these fighters uh, feet to the fire and make sure that they are in fact having the most competitive matches. Um, right now it's all about money and um, we talked about and kind of uh, we talked about uh, earlier about the fight not happening with Errol Spence and, and Terrence Crawford, and half of that is just because of the time of now and the, the fight not making as much money as it possibly be, and um, just the politics of who they are being managed and being promoted by. So, well, and, and Markelia, let me let me ask you this uh, because I remember it being a huge. Uh, discussion a huge topic to to make this happen um so when, when you talk about the money it, you know obviously we know that there's a purse and and purses are dispersed uh sometimes equally sometimes not so equally and so when we saw floyd versus someone like a conor mcgregor there was a big discrepancy in how the purse was going to be handled and, and i know floyd was was very much pushing in his way and thought he deserved this this percentage and all that. Does, yeah. does the does the purse percent play a point uh, into into matches too? Yeah, always. Floyd brought up a while ago. There's a certain type of fighter. You have a class A fighter and you have a B side fighter. Um, he he acknowledged when he went in for Oscar De La Hoya that Oscar De La Hoya was at the time the the A fighter. So he deserved to get the A fighter money. And Floyd knew by taking on the B fighter, you know, paycheck, if he beat the A fighter and took the less money, it would still propel him to new heights in which it did. So he always kind of brought forth the notion of, hey, I work for this and hey, I'm the champion and, you know, I am who I am. So at the end of the day, I am the A fighter. I am the A side and I deserve this. But then you have issues such as like Terrence Crawford and, and, and Errol Spence, as we spoke of, to where they both think that they're the same, you know, because you got uh, 
Terrence Crawford with the WBO, WBA. You got you got uh, Errol Spence with the WBO, and I think possibly the IBF. So he feels as if it supersedes that because the WBO is older, but Terrence Crawford feels a certain way because at the end of the day, he's still number one ranked pound for pound. You know, fighters, not even his division, but fighters. So if he's pound for pound ranked as the best fighter, then why should he get the, the A side? But, you know, it's kind of the back and forth, man. It's subjective. <laughs> No doubt. Well, you alluded to some of the big names before, man. So a as we look at it, um, you know, you talk about the, the, the Ben's match that um, may not happen. Let's talk about one that is uh, Spence Garcia scheduled for November. Yeah. How do you see that playing out? Um, it's going to be a good fight. Um, at, at the end of the day, um, Spence has to, Spence is expected to win, but Garcia is, is a tough match. You know, he's like he's almost like the litmus test for everyone. Um, you know, from from if, if you can beat Garcia, you can beat pretty much anyone in that division. Um, he has a, a great left hook, and he's he's a very crafty boxer. Um, but at the end of the day, you got Errol Spence that that has everything. He's he's has a a great chin is that's been tested with, with Porter. Um, he's a dog. He's one of the people that Floyd Mayweather they they won't even talk about their sparring sections, but it, sparring sessions. But it's kind of been alluded that there's only been really one person that's always can always can hang with Floyd Mayweather, and that was Errol Spence, suspected. But yeah, I mean. It's going to be a great fight. I do expect for Earl Spence to come out on top. I think it would be a good challenge for him. Um, but it's just more of the, the PBC fighters fighting each other. You know? well, and, and let me ask you this, and, and you may not necessarily have the exact answer, but so with boxing, obviously it's not like football. You don't, you don't play every week, right? So, so you take this time off, you prepare your body, you do all these things. And that regimen is absolutely insane what they do to get ready for a fight. But with the time in between, you know, uh, Spence had a fight of the year type of fight against Porter. So coming off of something like that, do you think that gives him a, a psychological, dude, I'm on my game, baby. I'm ready. I'm, you know, do, do you think that there's something to that, you know, like there would be in another sport? you know, where you're kind of hot at the right time? Well, Errol Spence dodged a bullet with his life in the car accident that he had. So I think that was probably the most motivating thing, you know, for him. And it's the biggest question with him. Um, he had a, a terrible car accident. Um, I don't know if he had a Ferrari or a Lamborghini, but uh, if you saw that car, you would wonder why he's still alive. And people wondered if he would even box again. So even just, just that story within itself. But, yeah, I, I think when you have um, a situation where he's beaten like a Sean Porter um, or uh, in the past where he's beat like a, a Kell Brook, uh, for example, um, it, it, it just only points that, you know, he's one of the better welterweights in there and he's kind of showing proof every time he's coming there. He's one of those fighters that isn't as animated 
Um, he's not going to sit there and sell the show with all the tactics and all the antics and different things of that nature. He's going to sit there and tell you to bring your A game and he's going to bring his. Um, and he, he, you, don't, you don't want no smoke with him, but, you know, <laughs> that's who Errol Spence is um, at the end of the day. Um, so whether it's him fighting after that Sean Porter fight or him surviving that crash, he's going to bring that A game. Well, you bring up another good name, man, uh, Kel Brooks. Uh, another big name that's been brought up, man. Uh, what do you think the chances of him fair, play, facing Terrence Crawford are? I know Crawford, they're talking him playing, uh, what, fighting either uh, Kenneth Thurman or Sean Porter here in November. Um, I think the fight that everybody would rather see is the Crawford Brooks. First, what do you think the odds are of that fight happening? I know Crawford's pushing for it. And additionally, um, what do you think it's going to take to bridge that gap? Um, money, once again. Um, Cash moves everything around me. They can get the money, dollar, dollar, bill. Yeah, yeah it, it all comes down to uh, Kell Brook wanting $4 million. I think originally when Terrence Crawford threw um, the money at him, he, he offered like a million dollars. And he knew that he wasn't going to take that. One of the one of the benefits of fighting Kell Brook is that you're fighting an international boxer. You're fighting someone from over in Britain that has a following, such as when Floyd Mayweather went over and fought Ricky Hatton. You know, those are the fights that are going to pay you a little bit more when you fight Manny Pacquiao. You fight the Canelo Alvarez. You you know you have you have a, a whole nother culture. You have a whole nother. Um, you got globalization. You got people from other places, you got more money. And that's kind of the case with Kell Brook. Um, he knows, Terrence Crawford knows if he fights Kell Brook, he can show people, okay, Kell Brook, it took Errol Spence 11 rounds to stop Kell Brook. If I can fight Kell Brook and make myself look better, it'll only propel me for the fight next year. Because realistically, we want them to fight, but we know that this is not a great time for them to fight. This, the, the, the money isn't there. But the, it, it's the buildup and just the anticipation of this fight will be good for maybe next year at this time if we can get post-COVID, you know? But um, Absolutely. And Lord knows I'm looking forward to it. Looking forward to seeing some of that. Um, with that being said, Let's focus a little bit here on high school sports of the state. Richie, why don't you take us into that? Yeah, so uh, if you guys saw over the last week, uh, Kobe Johnson, another Nicolay basketball player. Um, he's one of the fastest growing prospects here in the state of Wisconsin. And I mean that both figuratively and literally. Uh, his older brother, Jalen, just committed to Duke, is one of the top players. Uh, in the country, but Kobe was 6'1 point guard as a, as a junior in high school. He is now a 6'5 combo guard uh, as he's committing to USC here. Um, over the summer, he had an awesome summer circuit out on the AAU. Um, but th this kid is one of those kids that's a late bloomer and come this time next year, and, and he's really getting his footing uh, in the college world and the opportunity to possibly even get some early playing time. I think a lot of coaches are going to come back on this kid and go, wow, did we really miss the boat on not getting in on him, um, you know, necessarily early. Um, again, another local Milwaukee kid 
who going off and doing great things. It's something we've seen from the basketball scene here uh, in the city. And so with that, um, we're going to take a quick break and come back with Chris and talk U.S. Open. 300th career home run, yep. Run. And, and just to see, you know, what he's been doing his whole career on the offensive side and the defensive side. Um, you, you can nearly see him on a Mount Rushmore for you to do anything to, as fast as. All right, guys, welcome back to ES3N, the Essential Workers podcast. Chris, uh, some big news in the tennis world. U.S. Open, a big ejection. Um, lead us into what, what happened there. Yeah, Novak uh, Djokovic, the number one tennis prospect there, got eliminated uh, from the, the tournament for in a moment of frustration where he hits a tennis ball back and away seemingly um, without harmful intent, and it just takes out a line judge right, like, right in the throat. I don't think if he had been looking, he could have done it better, uh, leading to his immediate injection. Now, just to be clear, um, normally it would not have been an, eject an ejection had the line judge been able to get back up, go, okay, I'm good to go. It's my understanding that because um, the line judge had to be was injured in the shot, uh, had to be taken back, therefore replaced in it, that they didn't have any choice in the decision of removing him from the tournament and to be fair, I think he handled it like a champ. I think a lot of guys have had sports moments where they've allowed frustration to get the most of them. Uh, when hearing that, he did not go. There wasn't an argument. He didn't get animated. He didn't smash his racket. He packed up his stuff. Uh, he walked off the field. But I think they hurt the sport a, a little bit with that decision. Maybe we see some changes in those sort of rules moving forward. Who knows? Yeah, and I mean, to speak to him as a person, uh, the, the thing that I took away from it, too, like you said, I mean, he immediately, once he found out, walked over, shook the other guy's hand, and you said immediately left. Um, but he did not take media. Um, he, he did not give his usual press conference as he would. He skipped media and just went right to his car and left, which I think says about him as a person. You know, you say things and do things emotionally, which is why what happened happened. Uh, and I think he did the right thing to take a moment, you know, and, and get his thoughts together before putting out a statement. Absolutely. Yeah. With that, let, let's put it this way, Richie. You don't want that smoke. It's <laughs> the perfect lead-in to our next segment here of the you don't want this smoke player play of the game. And I hope you fellas don't mind. I'm going to start it off because I got to tell you, as a fan, after watching it, after seeing it as live and in person as we could get, in COVID-19 times. This week, I'm giving it to Jimmy Butler and Tyler Hero, man. I have never been more angry watching a basketball series in my life than I have. Hero seems to drain every three-point he came anywhere near. His ability to find the basket from beyond the arc. Boo. Jimmy Butler, I found myself – now, I am not a guy who often finds – I'm not going to lie. I am constantly screaming at the television set, and Jimmy Butler had me up in it, man. Jimmy Butler had me up in it. Really, you don't want this smoke. I want If I was the next team coming up against the Heat, I'd be more than concerned. 
with that, I'm going to kick it over to Markilio. Markilio, what is you don't want this smoke player of the week for you? Well, I mean, since you put it that way, I, I think I got two different you don't want that smoke situations. <laughs> I, I guess since you uh, segue from from Novak uh, Djokovic, I guess if you have the nickname Joker, you don't want that smoke because Novak was taking shots that Jokic wasn't taking in the game. <laughs> and, you know, but to, legit, to get a legitimate you-don't-want-that-smoke uh, situation with all fairness, I know we didn't get an opportunity to talk about Marshall because they killed Eastern Kentucky, but I think it's a kind of special story that, that goes along with that and the story of uh, Grant Wells, um, the, the hometown hero from West Virginia, um, goes to Marshall, and he has an unbelievable game. He threw for 307 yards and four touchdowns and a 59-0 route, route, just wiped the floor with him. A redshirt freshman, uh, the first, I think he was, he hit his first eight passes, and by, by the, before the second half, he had already thrown 280 yards. So just imagine if this was a close game, how many yards he actually would have had. So that, that was an amazing story. Grant Wells, you don't want that smoke. You don't want that smoke. <laughs> yeah, I, I I agree. I mean, both of you guys had awesome picks. Those were two picks I had written down on, on my list, so I'm glad I went three deep. Um, the, the, the one guy that I took was kind of written off as a Major League Baseball player. Nobody wanted to give him a shot. Everybody kept wanting to give him show-me deals. And all he did was go out and have an amazing year, and I'm hoping it turns into a big contract. Marcelo Zuna for the Atlanta Braves this week hit 444, five home runs, and 13 RBIs since we last recorded. He has been unbelievable. He's 30 years old. We, he, he's known for being a part of that outfield with Yelich and Stanton, but he's known as being the other guy. And this week he sent both of them a text that said, you don't want this smoke, boys, because I am about to go. I like it. I like it. All right. Well, that leads us into our favorite game, right, where we wrap things up here is the best ever. And this week, we've decided to step out of our comfort zone once again, sticky with our boxing theme, and we want to know what the best heavyweight ever all time is. I'm going to lead it off, man, because Elle and I have had this conversation before, man. I have said it several times and I know that it's always a great debate. Um, Mike Tyson, man, Mike Tyson is my pick. You could claim that it's where I grew up, how it is, but I mean, the youngest heavyweight champion in boxing history, right? Did it in 20 years, four months, 22 days, right? Um, most of his fights only last ever three rounds. I tell you, I watch boxing to see somebody get knocked out. Mike Tyson, Delivered those knockouts. Even on those ones where, man, and I'll tell you, I had one where quite literally we paid for the pay-per-view. I went to go mix myself a drink in the first round, came back, fight was over. All right? Fight was over. People walking out the door was like, no, no, you all got to contribute on that pay-per-view. <laughs> all right? So, I mean, he's fractured jaws. He's had great quotes from whether it's I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to eat the babies to, you know, whatever else. 49 and three, and I don't believe he ever really dodged the big fight, which is what makes him my best ever. 
Yeah, I mean, it's it was two guys for me. Chris, you just named one. But, but I'm going to say, I think Mike Tyson had more to do with why I didn't grow up watching boxing. Because nobody in my house watched boxing. And of my friends that did, they'd be like, hey, you going to come over for the fight? And I'd be like, well, sure. And then I'd get a call going, hey, I don't think my dad's going to buy the fight tonight because we don't want to waste $60 to watch Tyson win in three seconds. And so there was always <laughs> that, that debate, right? But I, ha I have a, a, a angel in my corner, and, and that's my defensive coordinator who puts me on to a lot of stuff from before my time, whether it's footage, whether it's interviews, or whether it's just plain old knowledge. And I went to Florida last year on a recruiting trip, and we spent the whole trip. He just spent now putting knowledge in my brain against my pick, Muhammad Ali. And not only what he did for boxing, but what he did outside the ring as a human being. To me, when you're an athlete, you also have a platform, much like what we're going through now. Muhammad Ali, one, didn't dodge the big fights. Two, he won the big fights. Three, he ingrained into what is now our hip-hop culture, right? And he basically led the way for someone like Kareem Abdul-Jabbar to be accepted for a change that he then later made going from Luau to Kareem, right? And, and so being the trendsetter he was, paving the way, I think a fight all of us would like to see happen, Muhammad versus Tyson, but with everything that he did both inside and outside of the ring, I don't know how uh, – I couldn't convince myself to go anywhere but Ali. Yeah. Um, Richie, I hate to sound like a broken record, but, yeah, what Ali did transcended the sport. Um, Ali was something special. Even if you look up, like, the greatest heavyweights of all time, you hear about Larry Holmes, you hear about Joe Frazier, you hear about George Foreman. And one thing is, Muhammad Ali fought all those men. When you, when you look at this, 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 you think of, you know, Jack Dempsey. Jack Dempsey never fought, you know, uh, Jack Johnson, you know. <laughs> Jack Johnson never fought Joe Lewis. Joe Lewis did fight Rocky Marciano. But, you know, but when you think of Muhammad Ali, you think Muhammad Ali fought everyone. Because let me tell you, Chris, George Foreman was Mike Tyson of his time. You know what I'm saying? He was coming, knocking everybody's head off. And we got Muhammad Ali that came in there and, and shook him. And Ali Bumbaye, the greatest ever. When you when you think of people that transcend the sport, you, you think of iconic images. And one of the things that I think of is the symbol, the Jordan symbol with his arms and his legs spread apart, with his arm up and his legs spread apart. But I also think of that iconic symbol of Muhammad Ali with his hands raised against Sonny Liston. Like, you, you see that and you know that from anywhere. So, you know, when you talk about the greatest of all times, you know, you got you to gotta mention Muhammad Ali because uh, he not only fought the greatest and, you know, fought the best of his time, but he exemplified uh, courage and what, what being a legend and an icon consists of, you know, speaking up. For and, and for me, really, right, we're talking the two, right? When we start talking heavyweights, that always seems to be the question of it. Uh, and really, um, what was done by them 
outside of the ring seems to almost be the deciding factor in a lot of those conversations. With that being said, I'm going to encourage our audience to check out our first ever NFL preview coming out shortly here. Before we wrap up the show with our own personal theme song done by our own Markelio Logic Atkins here. I want to do a shout out to our buddy Jackson, who did a redesign of our ES3N logo here. Podcast coming soon. Thank you very much, brother. We appreciate all the help we can get. Connect the dots like whoa.